You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 245, Billy Joust and Home is Where We Are. friends, welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm so happy that you're here. Uh, we always have amazing conversations about what God is doing in the world. And my hope is that uh, what we talk about encourages you. You may not have the same experience. You may not have uh, something similar, but I guarantee you just knowing that God is at work uh, will remind us that he's working in your life and my life as well. So I hope that that encourages you. If you enjoy this show and you haven't had a chance, go to halfwaythereapodcast.com, hit that Patreon button, and just throw a little support our way or tell a friend about the show and ask, let them know about the one that you listen to that you love. Send it to them, text it to them, however you do that, and then um, maybe maybe let them know why you like it. Uh, so that's all I'm going to say about that. Friends, we have a great conversation today. Our guest, uh, she's an author and a speaker, uh, Billy Joust. Billy, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited to just make the connection. We were talking, we, we you have a podcast, so you're a podcaster too, and, and so we connected on, on Facebook group. Uh, for that, uh, which is great. But tell us a little bit about kind of who you are and where God has you right now. Oh, my goodness. Who am I? <laughs> right. It's not a small question, is it? <laughs> it's not a small question. I'm a North Carolina raised girl. I met a guy at college that I decided was the one. We got married. We've been living in professional baseball now for I think this is our 34th season wow. in the big leagues. He's currently the bench coach for the New York Mets. So that is a crazy part of my life. I've raised three boys in this life of living in 15 different cities and towns in the U.S., Dominican Republic and Venezuela. So I've got packing down pat. Um, but raising my three boys, I always prayed, oh, Lord, don't let them go into baseball. Not because I don't love baseball. But it takes the right kind of woman to live this life. And they're all three going to get married at some point, I pray. (laughs) And I was worried about those women, you know. So now they're all adult males. And guess where they're working? All in baseball. Oh, nice. (laughs) But when my my youngest son was heading uh, off to college, his senior year of high school, I just really started praying about what God wanted me to do. And he kept putting my life, actually, if I'm honest, he had told me 10 years before that to start writing. And my response to the Lord, because he laughs at me a lot, and I tend to say things that make him laugh at me a lot. My response was, Lord, I grew up in North Carolina. We don't even speak English there. How am I supposed <laughs> to write it? You know, and so I've been writing devotionals, daily devotionals for Baseball Chapel. Baseball Chapel is an organization that provides spiritual guidance for uh, men and women in baseball. And they do a daily devotion for women. They also do a daily devotion for men. You don't have to be in baseball to read them. You can get them online at baseballchapel.org. But in that, I've been writing devotions for 10 years. I asked the Lord what he wanted me to do. He said, write. I laughed about it. Then a friend got in touch with me who was writing a book and asked me if I could go through the process. And 
So I started doing it. It was about how to write a novel and in 10 minutes a day. And she was a homeschool mom. And so anyway, so I started writing, fell in love with it. And the Lord has taken me into this writing world. At that point, I thought I was going to be a speaker. Like, you'll know, you'll see. I love to talk. I love (laughs) talking to people. I love being in rooms with people. I love the relationship building. And the Lord really took away a lot of that speaking to get me to writing. Now I'm right now working on my second book, my first book, Making Room, Doing Less So God Can Do More was published in 2018. And I had a whole identity crisis of, you know, this imposter syndrome for a couple of years and then went back at it. And now my second book will be released in 2022, but it's due into the publishing house in, uh, in May. So working hard on that. Yes. Yeah. Nobody, it looks, people write a book or come out of the book and everybody thinks, Oh, how cool. It's not a cool process. If you know an author, it's a lot of work. It's, yeah. it's hard. It's tedious. To me, oh, everybody's told me to write a book. I'm like, what are you going to write the book about? Yeah. Well, it's usually their personal story, which usually personal stories are really great, but it's like, well, who are you writing to? What's the message? How many words are you writing a day? Because my book has to be chugged in right. at 50 to 60,000 words. Yep. And God bless my high school English teachers because I <laughs> rarely wrote a good essay. Like I was just not, I was, I wanted to be a nurse. What nurse needs to write an essay? We write notes and it's shorthand back then, you know? Yep. So I was going to college for math and science, not English. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, I want to go into all in your story and hear all about that. It's interesting. So you're in baseball. I'm a huge baseball fan. So I love, I love that. What, I'm sorry to say that we beat those Cardinals a few I, times. Uh, you're a Cardinals fan, right? I am a Cardinals fan. Yeah. You, you knew that. That's great. Yes, I am. I'm a huge Cardinals fan. Yeah, did you are you talking about this year? Like just this last couple well, of weeks? Let's just I'm gonna go back a few years to a really cool game that we were part of. Um, let's see, it would have been October two thousand and four. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We were with the Boston Red Sox and oh, you won were. the World Series that year. Oh. And you know, and I love St. Louis. People in St. Louis are so nice. And I will tell you that night was such an awesome night when we won the security people. Everybody was so like excited for us. Sad that their Cardinals had lost. We'll get you next year if we see you. Yep. But the people there were just so beautiful. And once they cleared out the stadium, they allowed the Red Sox fans, even if they didn't have tickets, if they had some Red Sox apparel on, they let them back into the stadium. So we were able to really celebrate That's so with cool. family. You know, baseball's a family. Fans are our family too. And that was just such a cool night. It was, yeah, then we, we beat the Cardinals a lot since then. I know. It's so <laughs> tough. It's, you know what? It's good to be a Cardinals fan though. At least I could have very easily been a Cubs fan. I grew up in Iowa. I grew up watching the Iowa Cubs. Just you know, lots. I met Todd Zia. Like, you know, all these, some, who he's a Met, right? Um, but, uh, that was like, so I love, I just grew up going to baseball. Could have easily been a Cubs fan. Thank goodness. My grandfather was a Cardinals fan. Cause it's a lot easier life to be a Cardinals fan. We didn't win in 2004, but we did win in 2006. And that MV3 team was pretty darn good. So that was not yeah. bad. But anyway, funny, my, my husband grew up in Chicago. So okay. His dad, our, our sports lives run deep. 
his dad was a sports writer in Chicago. Oh, cool. So David and my husband grew up a Cubs fan because his dad wrote about the Cubs a lot. He had his dad's yeah, yeah. pass. And back then, all you had to do as a kid was show your dad's media pass and you got into games. So then fast forward to when the Cubs were winning the World Series, you know, in the World Series and winning, what was that, 16? And no, mm-hmm. it was... um. 15. Whatever year it was. Yeah, 2015. Or 2016 they won. No, because... 16. It was 16 because Donald Trump was elected and the Cubs won the World Series like the next week. It was insane. There you go. Or like so the, it was happened. funny because here my our middle son was in Chicago in grad school for sports psychology and he was working that night. He worked as a bouncer at a bar during that time because he could make some big money. Right. <laughs> And he's poor in grad school. But on the way home, he's walking by the brick wall at Wrigley Field and people had left chalk out and were writing names of people that had passed that didn't experience a World Series, wow. you know, and he wrote Papa Bill on there, my father-in-law's name, and he sent us a picture. And it was so special because in 2004, that's what we felt like, you know, had happened in Boston, that we brought something to people that absolutely for so long. So. Cool and, stories. Cool and baseball that, stories. We can I, talk all day. I know. I love all that. And I would totally have rooted for them except for the uh except for the they're playing my team. So but that's that's all good stuff. I'm, so that's cool. That's really neat. So I guess um and we could talk about that later, but I love that. So I'm sure baseball's had kind of a big, a big impact on your life. Well, maybe we can talk about that. But you uh, where so you grew up in North Carolina. What was that like for you and kind of what was your, you know, spiritual kind of climate as growing up? Yeah, I grew up on a farm in North Carolina. Um, I grew up in a Protestant family. Church was what we did, how we did. We served deeply in the church. Um, I always had this very deep spiritual connection. I I served as like the altar guild on the, you know, or the um, acolyte. I was an acolyte. So I carried the cross. I carried the flags, you know, the Protestant church. And And so, but I remember just sitting at the front of the church while serving and just listening to the sermon and feeling such a connection with the Lord. And, you know, growing up in the Bible Belt as a Protestant, ooh, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't a thing. But I had friends that were in other Pentecostal churches, all sorts of, for us, a crazy atmosphere because we were so proper. And so I started going to Sunday night um, youth groups at these different churches and just fell more and more in love with the Lord. And unfortunately, at the age of 16, fortunately, I gave my life to the Lord at the age of 16. Unfortunately, I was told by a prominent person in my life that the Lord didn't love little girls like me. I was too loud, too crazy, and that this was just a cult trying to pull me in. And, you know, they're going to make you change. They're going to, you know, uh, it was just all this negative talk around it. Very judgmental, very, you know. So I kept my relationship with the Lord, but I walked away from church because I, you know, there was some church hurt in there. There was, you know, just some stuff that it broke my heart as to how people related to others by saying they're a Christian. Or how Christians related to other Christians, or yeah. you know, um, your past isn't completely gone. That judgment, and we all—I think we've all had it in the church at one point or another. But I kept my my connection with the Lord. I, you know, I really, I always believed. I just never walked the walk too much. And my husband and I met, got married, 
had three kids, lived in a lot of different places. And then our marriage started falling apart. He was really going into leaning into his career and building his career. And I was into motherhood and I had given up my career to be able to be at home with the boys. And both of us were just crashing and we separated. And it was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life of saying, I might be a divorced woman. That was not why I got married. And I was talking to the Lord a lot. And I started going to counseling and we were in the Northeast at the time. And my counselor was an atheist. And she asked me, when's the first time in your life that you felt, when's the one time in your life where you felt the most peace? And I said, when I gave my life to the Lord in high school and I was going to church. And she said to me, you need to go back to church. So I went back to a church. It was a Protestant church. There was a, um, a priest there that said to me, you know, I don't think after a couple of years at that church and my marriage was being built back up together with my husband, we were, we were really leaning into each other, building on each other and, and our spiritual lives were gaining strength and in that church. But the, the woman who was the priest at that church said, Billy, I don't think you're going to get out of this church what you need spiritually. I think you need to go to a Bible-based church. And that blew me away. You know, this wow. female priest saying to me, you need to go to a Bible-based church. And it wasn't out of, you're too much for us. Or you're, I mean, I was doing a lot there. I was really, again, very much serving the church. And so I had met this lady at a little well, league baseball game of our boys. I got to ask a question. Hold on. Oh, no. So the, she asks you that, she tells you that, how did that feel? And what did that like, what that do? Like where, you know, what was that experience like for you? It released me because oh, interesting. Growing, it released me because growing up, I didn't feel that I could go to the church that I met most felt most comfortable and connected with because of that denominational um, stronghold and the denomination is great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not demeaning anyone, but for me, I needed more of that Bible based. I was, I'm so inquisitive about things. I love learning. I love digging into the Bible. I want to know the history. I want to know who did what, Mm -hmm. what was going on in history when the, you know, and I wasn't getting that in in that church at that time. So it was almost a release. That's interesting. Release of, Which is, it's funny how that can help. And first of all, I would love, I don't know this, this priest, but would love to applaud that because to care more about you and what you needed spiritually is kind of rare. Sometimes a lot of rare. times people want, you know, they're trying to bring people in because that's their budget. That's their, you know, all those kinds of things. And they have other concerns than spiritual growth, but she saw that you needed some, spiritual growth and that the Bible kind of getting into the Bible. I th- there's a season, I think when that really is super important. And so she saw that you were there and like, you're asking that question and you, you, you need that. Okay. So, sorry, I interrupted you, but I wanted to like no, emphasize that. So I just get on a roll telling that's the okay. story because it was such a, it was when you look back on the story, it was such a God thing. God's hand was so much in every piece of this even in an atheist psychologist. Right. I mean, what atheist psychologist says to someone, go back to church. Yes. You know, so seeing God's hand in every step of this is just powerful. 
So then, you know, I had met this lady at a little league game whose husband was a non-denominational pastor and they were doing great things in the community and fun things. And she had a bunch of kids and I had three boys. We were always at the park together and she had invited me to her church. And I was just like, oh gosh, here we go. Can't leave my church. I want to go, but can't do it. And when I got released from gotcha. my, my church that I was attending, we started going and it was transformational for me. Um, our boys were young and they jumped into everything head first because it wasn't like I wasn't talking about God with them, but I read Bible stories to them. I read the Bible to them. Like that's what our family was. And we believed we just hadn't found that home of where we were to go and worship. And my husband started coming to church with us. Our marriage had started on the mend, but I will say that when we recommitted our lives to the Lord and started focusing on the Lord and what the Lord wanted to do in and through our own lives was when our marriage really went into flourishing. Um, and not that we got a perfect marriage, don't get me wrong, but now when we struggle, we know where to go straight to the Lord, yeah. straight to the Bible. Well, take us into that a little bit. I'd love to hear what, whatever you want to share, but like what, um, so how does you know, being closer to the Lord or however you want to say that kind of being more aware of, of his presence in your life, how, how, give me a practical example of how that's kind of helped you guys relationally. Well, I think for us, it goes back to the love of God first, like that's first and foremost in our life. And then we can in turn allow the Lord to transform us. I remember back when we started going to church, my husband looked at me and he goes, you're different. And I was like, oh no, uh, you know, here we're working on our marriage. I'm starting to read the Bible more and become more Christ-like. I was trying to take care of me because I don't think without me healing and understanding who I was, could I be the wife to my husband, the mom to my children that I wanted to be? And when my husband said, you're different, that was that point that I knew that God was transforming my life, that wow. he was changing me into a more loving, understanding, forgiving, um, the anger. You know, I, I now talk a lot about the emotional barriers that keep us from growing closer to the Lord and growing closer to others. And those emotional barriers of past hurts and anger and unforgiveness and keeping a, a long list of my husband's wrongs, you know, that mm. list got ripped up and thrown away. And now if there's something I want to put on the wrongdoing list, instead of writing it down and keeping a record, we talk about it and we go to one another before we, you know, we go to the Lord first. We, I pray about it first. And then I go to my husband and we talk it out together rather than calling my best friend and going, do you know what he just said to me? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, and that has grown us into having such a friendship, uh, you know, um, he introduces me a lot now as, oh, this is my best friend, Billy. She's also my wife, you know, because we've grown to a part that our friendship is just so important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. I think a lot of people want that, but don't know how to kind of get it. Right. So it, it takes, it takes time and work. It sounds like. It does. It's not a magical, you know pill that can be taken today boom you know i love you lord today and i'm perfect tomorrow it is a work in progress and yeah. I, I say that a lot i am a work in progress 
you know, our marriage is a work in progress and it's never something to give up on. Well, I think that's the definition of sanctification too, right? Like there's this, there's this whole thing and we don't talk about it a lot, but it's one of my favorite things, which is why I have this show that I do, right? Is how we grow in Christ. Like it takes time. It takes, takes things. So you go, you go to this church and so you change, right? And you go to a church, you start to dig into the Bible, like, and you could tell your husband could tell that you were changing. Are there any like moments that you could take us into that where you remember learning something or a passage that the Lord really spoke to you with or an experience that you had with him during that season? Yeah, I mean, the first scripture that hit me really hard was Jeremiah 29, 11. And I know that's on a lot of mugs and a lot of plaques <laughs> and a lot of, you know, people crochet it all the time. I'm from the South, so we crochet and, you know, you know <laughs> needlepoint things. But it's cross stitch is another way. But it was, a you know, for I know the plans I have for you. I think that was something that I felt like God's got my back. Plans to prosper you to make me better for him, you know, to cause no harm. He's not going to do anything mm. in my life that's going to cause harm. Now I can cause harm. Other people can cause harm, but with the Lord having my back, I felt protected. I felt safe. I felt like I could be me without the facades, without the I'm fine face. Yeah. You know, I could actually say I'm hurting. I'm in pain. I'm angry. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to forgive, but I have to forgive. It sounds like you as a kid, when you'd given your life to Christ and, you know, you had that family member, whoever it was say, you know, what they did to you like that, you kind of had to hide that. Like you had to, you had to kind of, did you learn that you had to kind of be like, okay, I got to be a certain way and not, not be too culty is what they called it. Right. So was it, is that how God sort of resolved that for you? It was, it was a, I could not be myself because I had always been very spiritual back then. That was what I called it. I, I knew God. I knew that I knew who Jesus was. I knew what Jesus had done for me, but I couldn't speak it out loud so much. Just my circle, my friends at church, the church I was going to, oh, you're getting a little too spiritual there. You're, you know, you're weird. You need to go. You know, um, I remember one time a lady said, something that she had heard from the Lord and people I was around when she left were like, Oh, she needs to go to Dorothea Dix, which was the, you know, the insane asylum. Oh, no. <laughs> and, you know, she's crazy. She's hearing things. And I'm like, Oh, wow. I've heard the Lord speak in my spirit. I don't think I'm crazy, you know, and um, people that were very prophetic in a sense would speak words over me that were very calm, very peaceful filled, you know, calming to me that I knew the Lord, that I was hearing the right things from, from God at that time, but I couldn't speak out. I couldn't, you know, as a teenager, it's hard to anyway, especially if you're not in the church circle. And I wasn't in the church circle. I had friends in the church circle. I had friends out of the church circle, mm -hmm. you know, um, my church stories are crazy. I had a boyfriend one time whose mother wouldn't let me on her porch because I cut my hair, you know, <laughs> Wow. Things like that, that I didn't know where I belonged. And then I read that scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, and I'm like, I belong with Jesus. It's not mm -hmm. a church setting, even though I'm not talking against churches. We love our churches. We, you know, we go to a bunch of different churches because of our life. Yeah. But it's not the church setting 
because everybody's going to have a hurt or two within a church. It's about your vertical relationship with Jesus. And you cannot create that horizontal relationship in a loving manner until you have that vertical relationship with Jesus first and foremost. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Okay. So it sounds like that really started to let you know who you were and let you be who you were uh, in, in a new way, which is a really important part. Okay. So what happened, what happened then and kind of what, uh, where did that take you? Wow. (laughs) We were, I mean, for us, it was just such, it gave us a place of belonging in a, a lot of ways. And one of the ways that hit my husband pretty hard was Colossians 3.23, work as if working for the Lord and not for man. Because in his life, he had been, I wish he was here to talk to you about it, but he had been so um, focused. He, he, was, he was facing a lot of obstacles going into professional baseball because he never played professional baseball. Mm. And back then there were no coaches. I think when he was, yeah, when he made it to the big leagues, there had only been maybe two or three men before him that had been major league coaches and not played the game of professional baseball. So he was having to overcome a lot of obstacles, hurdles, things to get to where he wanted to be. And when he started looking at working as if working for the Lord, we really took that on as our identity in baseball that we haven't been placed in baseball for David to have a big league job or any other job. We've been placed here to be representatives to Christ in this atmosphere. And so for us, baseball became our mission field. And that is where we have been thrown. Now, when we first started like feeling like this is our mission field, I told David, I go, dude, I did not want to serve the mission field of baseball. I want to go to Africa where there's little children that need <laughs> Jesus and they're barefoot and they need food and medical attention. I was a nurse. I'm like, that's where I want to go serve. I don't want to, God bless you, my baseball wives, if you're listening, I love you, but this is where I was, I'm being honest. I didn't want to serve 25-year-old girls making 10 million a year. Yeah. What do they need? Yeah. And we all know They need Jesus just as much as anybody else. They need love. You know, they need to be honored and respected for who they are. Because so many baseball wives give up careers, give up everything they know to live this crazy, I'm in a hotel right now, hotel lifestyle at times that take you to all these different places, take you away from family, take you away from friends. So that was a part where we started digging into this is our mission field and life. It just gave us such purpose and meaning to serve the Lord in a way that we never dreamed of. It was never part of what we thought we'd do. Yeah, that's really interesting. He does that sometimes, right? He takes you to places that you don't, you don't expect. And, and then you, what you find out is that he equips you for that. Right. And you've you've got it. Yes. If you allow him. You have to give the, give God the control over your life to be able to use you in a way. And you have to overcome those places of doubt and discouragement mm-hmm. and not belonging and all of those things to be able to accept where he's put you, when he's put you there. Well, give me an example of a time when you feel like God used you or, or, or if you can share um, that you didn't expect in a way you didn't expect. Oh, wow. There's so many. Um, 
okay, so in baseball, an in baseball story is just those times where there is a, a woman who I like to call sandpaper people. You know, those people that come up and just want to grind on your last nerve, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that partier, that diva, that one that you're like, oh, I don't want to deal with one more gossip story yeah. or God seems to put many of those in my life, you know, and I'm one that seeks them out too. So it's my own fault that I obey God, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it seems like those times. So there've been a few times where we've had wives in, in my vicinity, in my organization. And this, this isn't, don't go back and look at our history and try to pick out which wife it yeah, might yeah, be. Yeah. There are quite a few, it happens. There's usually a different one every few months sometimes, but just sitting in the stands with them and talking with them about why, you know, why I do what I do, how I do what I do. Yeah you know, raising my kids in this life and trying not to give them a, a feeling of elitism or, you know, that they're better than anybody else, you know, and teaching those lessons just by living like the Sodom. And then when they get in trouble, the wives, when they get in trouble or go into labor or the kids are puking all over the hotel room and our mm. husbands aren't there, they call me. Mm. And those are the times where, you know, we talk about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. That's when I can wash their feet and just say, I'm here for you. Not literally their feet. Well, sometimes a mom that got puked on one year, that was, it was everywhere. And we did it together. There were three wives and I that showed up and we just took over and loved her. And she's a yeah. great lady, but you know, it's just taking the time out of our busy lives to sit with them side by side. So, and then the ones that are, have the hardest of lives and you don't know what those plant, those seeds that you've planted, what has happened. Mm, right. And then you see them at a Christian conference and their tears in each other's eyes of, uh, you know, I'm so glad the Lord's done in me like what he has. And, and that's not fame, fortune or money. That's in the heart, in the soul, in the marriages, in the parenting of just seeing the fruits of those labors. So, yeah, I love that. I'm really fascinated by the life because, you know, it's, as a fan, it's easy to imagine that, that, that's a very glamorous life, but traveling everywhere is not glamorous, right? Like that's, that's way harder than it probably seems. Well, you know, there are just so many assumptions that people make yeah. about baseball lives. I mean, number one, they don't think we're very moral people for some reason, you know, arm candy, trophy wife, whatever they want to call. Oh yeah. I have the utmost respect for baseball wives because we have to multitask. We are the, you know, we are the traveling secretary. We make all the bookings of the, of the flights. We have to drag all the kids. We don't get to fly on flights with our husbands. Okay. You know, some teams do here and there. We'll do a family trip or things like that, but we're not allowed. You know, I'm all, one of the things I get all the time is, where's your suite at the ballpark? And I'm like, what do you mean? Well, don't you have a suite that you sit in during yeah. games? I'm like, 
no, we're just blessed if we have an overhang for rainy nights or out of the sun, you know? And, yeah. and there's some great things. I love baseball. Like I'm one of those crazy baseball wives that will sit for hours and talk baseball with my husband, and my kids and, you know, all of that. But it's difficult. You know, I, unfortunately, one of the jokes I make, but it's so reality, is my husband and I have been married now for 32 years. And until my son graduated from high school six years ago now, oh my gosh, I can't remember, believe that. My youngest graduated in 2015. My husband and I had only spent, you know, a third of our time together together. Yeah. Because when the kids were in school, my husband leaves in February and comes home in October. Yeah. So the kids and I would stay home until June and go to where my husband was for the summer and then come again, uh, come home again in August. And that asked a lot of the kids too, because they pack up. I mean, it's only suitcases. You don't have to pack up the house, but we pack up and go to dad. You know, I always impress on my kids at home is where we all are together. Mm. and that so yeah so the traveling the packing the moving the new girls we're with a new team this year we're with the Mets this year we this is our we were the Mets before but this is the um we've been with seven teams over the 34 years and so even when you stay within teams you may know the coaching staff you've got a whole new set of group of players coming in um, another thing I say often is when we started in baseball, I was the age of the wives and girlfriends. <laughs> they stayed the same age. I kept getting older. <laughs> right. So now I have a new group of 22 to 34 year old women to get to know. Right. Um, so it's difficult, especially for the introverted ones of us, which is not me. But the introverted <laughs> girls, they all, they see me coming, their eyes get big. They're like, oh God, we were warned about you. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm the gatherer. I love to gather the girls and do Bible study together and have lunch together, go out before the game together for dinner, whatever. Um, but it's hard. It's hard to have a new circle of people. You get really, really ingrained into the lives of each other in the six months that we're together. And then some people you never see again. Thank God now we have social media. We can stay right. Hot. But you never see them. I mean, there were girls I was with with the Expos back in the day. You know, you're getting old when you start yeah, right. back in the day. There are fans that were, our, our, you know, when we were in the Florida State League that I just adored that I don't see that much, thank God, for Facebook. And we're still pretty visible that they can find us and we, you know, we gain our friendship back again. Um, our pediatrician we had at West Palm Beach with the Expos, we ended up, you know, seeing out in Vegas when we were there for the winter meetings. It's just all these relationships that you don't get to hold on to. So there's almost a mm. grieving process every season. Wow. And then here comes a whole new group. You know, same thing with churches. Yeah. You know, we're like, oh, what church do you go to? And oh, I've got I've got dinner recommendations for you guys in New York. It's like, do you know how many nights we actually get to go to dinner together? So it's yeah. all those little things that um that can build up and really cause a cause a clog in the pipes, if you want to say it that way, of of anger and grieving and yeah just holding things against your husband well you weren't there for mother's day 
I've been to restaurants alone on Mother's Day. I've had my kids. Mm. With, I, I don't, at one point I had in the first, I think, 20 years of baseball, I had spent four Mother's Day and three birthdays with my husband, you know, wow. and it's just a reality, you know? Um, so there's some hard things about it, but you try not to look at those hard things. But when people talk to us, just the, them not realizing the reality of baseball and how we have this glamorous life where we get picked up in limos. No, I'm dragging my own luggage. <laughs> right. I'm making my own flights. I am flying some cheap flights to be able to go to more cities. Yeah. Because usually in a normal year, you can stay in the hotel with your husband. So you don't have to pay for the hotel. But you do have to pay for food. You have to pay for flights. You have to pay for Ubers, taxis, whatever. You know, I take the subway because it's cheap. Right. Uh, <laughs> I like to save money so so that I can do more in giving and being able to go different places. But yeah, well, that's super fascinating. So yeah, I appreciate that because it's again, I think that so many of us, it's easy to think, oh, well, it must be great. Uh, you know, it's might be fun to travel, but man, you don't certainly players, they don't get now, right. Because of COVID, but even before they don't get to see the cities that they're, that they're playing in They're They play the game. They're tired. They're going home and they're, they're going to, they're going to chill. Maybe they get dinner or something, but it's not, it's, it's not as glamorous as you think. Yeah. Our dinner, I will say it's funny when we go out to dinner or we have dinner together, my mother used to say, you're ruining them youngins. Because our <laughs> dinner time was between midnight and 1 a.m. Oh, our kids' wow. bedtime was 3 a.m. Oh, because my goodness. Because dad leaves for the ballpark at 11, 12 o'clock in the daytime. Yep. And doesn't come home until an hour to two hours after the game. So you have to reposition your life wow. so that your kids actually get to spend time with dad. Yeah. And so that makes it really late. My mother still calls. She's 85 now. And you would think by this time she'd get it, you know. No, she still calls me at 7.30 a.m. Where are you? Why aren't you answering your phone? I'm like, oh. mom, on the West Coast, you know. Whatever. Yeah, right, right. But it's just that our lifestyles are so different. It's like a whole different, you know, time frame of things. So Really interesting. Yeah. Okay, so I'm curious about some of the spiritual impact of that because it sounds like, so yeah, you mentioned social media. Maybe that's helpful, but it's probably hard to develop a community in that way, especially when people are transient, they're moving, uh, either on, on the team, but then also you're in new cities all the time. You're probably not at a home church. How, how does that work for you? For us, baseball chapel is the godsend because baseball chapel comes in and they have a chaplain, which I find a funny name, but yeah. the baseball chapel chaplain for the team had does a Bible study or more than one Bible study. When we were with the pirates, we actually, the coaches had a Bible study. The players had a Bible study. There was a group Bible study for everyone. And our grounds crew did a Bible study. So it's just really, really cool that that baseball chapel leader, that baseball chaplain comes in and, and serves that way. He also does a Sunday service for the home team and the away team. Um, they also have a Catholic priest that comes in for the Catholic um, guys. A lot of Latin American players are Catholic. And then they also have a Spanish-speaking baseball chapel leader. Mm. So in turn, usually the baseball chapel chaplain, his wife or a female person in his church or somewhere around is the baseball chapel leader for the women. So 
we have baseball chapel chaplains at every level of baseball now from the big leagues, or shall I turn that around? From the Dominican Summer League all the way to the big leagues. Yeah. So you have a spiritual contact every every weekend at least in those ballparks. And in turn, they get your phone number. They're living life with you. You can go to church with them at their church if you're in town. A lot of us travel on weekends that we're not at home, you know, but we have that availability. The wives also do a a baseball chapel um, Bible study. And I'm sort of one of those ringleaders, gang leaders. And I'm like, you come into Bible study. Like, <laughs> let's go. And it's fun on teams where the Bible study girls are the, are the, are the large majority because then other girls want to come along with us. You know, we're not pressing. You have to believe like we believe it's more of come join us. Let's learn more about what God wants to do in and through our lives. Let's, let's spend time together. And so there have been teams I've been on where we've had 15 to 17 women in a Bible study, coaches' wives, the manager's wife, players' wives, um, and they come and go. But that's that constant is when you get to a new town, you know you have baseball chapel to connect with. That's fascinating. See, I don't think most of us would know that that's there. No. Yeah. No. Um, have you ever had like a dark night of the soul or like a kind of time when God felt far away? Oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, Quite a few times, quite a few times. And more so because I put those walls up again, you know, Um, in the time that my husband and my marriage was falling apart, I went to the deepest, darkest place away Mm -hmm. spiritually because I felt that God was punishing me for my past. I was never meant to be a wife and a mother. I didn't want to be a wife and a mother. Even when I met my husband, I was going in the Navy. I was going to serve as a nurse and I was going to serve in the mission field all over the world, right? That's what I wanted. And God gave me a different direction. And I am so, his plan is so much better than mine. But when I came to that place, I went to such a dark, deep place and pushing God away, even though I knew he was still there. I use the excuse of, oh, God doesn't love me. God doesn't want to take care of me. God, look what he's done to my life. Not my choices, not my husband's choices, but look what God's done. And that's when I really went to that, a dark place. Another time was quite a few years later when um, we had committed our lives to the Lord and, and I had had three miscarriages. And that was a really, really deep, dark place of, Lord, you've given me two healthy boys. I should be happy with that, but I'm angry and I'm mad and I don't want to hear what you have to say. I don't think this is a good plan. I don't think you're using me for the purpose, you know, and here I had not wanted to be a mother and now I wasn't having more babies and I was blaming God. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Yeah. Uh, So those were two times I think it's been the deepest and darkest And when I really started to learn to overcome those, you know, those obstacles in my life with drawing closer to the Lord, rather than pushing him away, I think it's when everything's turned around. You know, my life is not perfect. Our lives are not without hurt and pain. Last summer, I lost my sister and brother-in-law in in a house fire. And my nephew got out, my adult nephew got out. And there were times that I felt myself slipping. 
into that deep, dark place. And I just had to hang on, you know, like the woman that went through the crowd and just touched Jesus' cloak, Mm -hmm. touched his robe. And I felt like if I can just get my one finger, one toe on Jesus's cloak, I'll be okay. And I kept turning back to him and turning back to him. And that was a time that I felt like, Lord, I'm getting this. Like I've slipped up so much in my life, but I feel like I'm, I'm getting what this Christian walk might be like hanging on to you. You know, it's like, duh, yes. you know, wow. he laughed at me again, you know, well, but it, was. I, it was like, Lord, I need you. And that made all the difference. But see, so what you just said is so powerful. And the way, I love the way that you you kind of mentioned those three different seasons and kind of your reaction to each of them, right? Like, so you're right. Like that's the way that we, what we have to cultivate is going back to the Lord over and over again. I say this all the time, you know, what God wants for us is not perfection. What he wants for us is to come back to him over and over again. And so like, that's why throughout the scriptures, you'll hear, I will be their God and they will be my people. That's what he's after. And so you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to act a certain way. You don't have to put on a pretense of holiness. You just have to show up and say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm broken. And I love that image, that story. I think it's, I forget where it is in, in Mark somewhere, but where, where the woman keeps coming back to, or comes to Jesus and just touches his, his cloak and he notices, right? He notices like that's, that's the, it's fascinating. I don't know why that is, but he noticed and, and she was healed. And he says to her, your faith has made you clean. And it's that faith to just go, Jesus will fix us. Jesus will, you know, or Jesus, I will trust Jesus one way or another, um, no matter what happens. Um, I think Eric, one of the, one of the things that I feel that Last summer, when I felt like I was really, I mean, that was a time that I could have hit some major depression. My yeah. family, you know, it was a tough, tough time. And, and it's grief. I don't want to minimize that, and by it's the way. Grief. Like, it's I don't so true. Of that. course, you felt that way. Totally. However, because I was in the word, because I've become a prayerful person, praying without ceasing all day, every day. Um, most of the time, there are times I don't pray. I do yell in traffic and I'm not praying at that point, but because I'm a prayerful person and because I'm digging into scripture, when I felt myself slipping away, I could remember the verse in Mark four, where there it is. the woman touches his cloak. Yeah, yeah. I can remember when he, in Mark four, he says to her, you have been healed because of your faith. Now go in peace and freedom. Yeah. I've just got to touch a little bit. So at that point, you know, here I've been, my, my podcast is start small, believe big. And it's like the Lord put it in front of my face. See what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. One small touch, one small scripture. Now that's not the place to stop because you've got to believe in the big God that we're serving and God can do so much more in your life that then I could turn to more scripture. Then when my nephew came to me crushed that he got out and my sister and brother-in-law didn't, I could feed scripture to him because I'm not really good at memorizing scripture. So a lot of times I feel like, oh, I can't recite scripture because it's going to be wrong. Yeah. And I just had to step away from that and say, no, Lord, you got to give me the words. And so I knew enough scripture from, from reading it that I knew the gist of verses and I'm like, you know, take a look at, this is what the Lord wants you to know. This is how he wants you to go from here. 
you know, and in those times, just every time I'd feel myself slipping, I could reach back out and grab onto a scripture because I had been in the word, right? Yeah, so absolutely. it's not just sitting around. I call it being a potato chip Christian where you sit on the couch and you eat potato chips. You're like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Okay, Lord, what do you want me to teach? What do you want to teach me? Well, you have to be an active participant. Right. Yes, absolutely. And so that's, I love that in Philippians 2, where it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? For it's God who's at work in you to, to mature you, right? Fascinating. And it's this partnership that you, you have to show up, you got to do the work, but God will also do his part. And so we, we both do, we both do our part. So yeah, uh, it's really good. I love that. Okay. Billy, thanks for sharing just a little bit of your story. It's always fascinating to me to hear, um, you know, how God's worked in your life. I appreciate it. Is there, so people can find you. I should tell everybody that if they want to check you out, it's at billyjoust.com and your book is making room doing less. So God can do more. I've got links to all that at halfway there podcast.com. Um, Billy, is there anything you want to leave us with? Um, I just, I think the one thing I always want to tell people is just rely on Jesus, like turn back to him and all. And we have all these crazy things happening in our lives and he is the person the, the he is the way the truth of the life to turn back to him in all of those times that we feel doubt and discouragement and really cling to him is what we need to do and i'm saying that to remind myself as much as everyone else is listening absolutely i love that billy thanks for being here i really appreciate it thank you